What's up, everybody? It's Bricky Sergeant Benny, and we are back for another episode of Life Through Our Lens. And we are doing part two of our 30 before 30. 30 lessons we learned before we turn 30. Part two, because we recorded way too long last time. And here we are. We're back at it. And uh, we're going to start off with Benny this time. All right. So number six on the list for me, wash your ass. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) How did you, it took you 30 years to learn that? Uh, so it's, it's, it's an overarching thing. I was trying to figure out the most pizzazz that was going to come out, but wash your ass, uh, wash your whole body. Personal hygiene is of the utmost importance. Nobody wants you wants to be around somebody that's got a, you know, a stank. Yes. So take care of yourself. Personal hygiene is big. Comb your hair, cut your freaking toenails. You'll get holes in your socks. Otherwise brush your teeth, floss the whole thing. Sarge, I don't see you writing any of this down. I need you to write this down. Uh, steel trap up here. Steel trap mm, up here. I don't know about that. So that was directed a little bit at Sarge, just because the, the whole <laughs> foot deodorant ordeal, the personal hygiene blanket from Sarge. I just needed to throw it back out into the fire. Hey, <laughs> wash your ass. So on to, I guess, what is number seven then for me. Uh, this one I think is really important. Take risks. Don't live in fear living in fear your entire life you're just missing out on living and fear doesn't stop death it just prevents life so something that i had to figure out for a very long time dealt with anxiety growing up you know high school college what have you still to this day and there are things that it's fearful and just get over it and i know it's easier said than done but don't let dumb stuff going on in your brain keep you from living because you never, you're never promised tomorrow and, you know, just sitting there and dwelling on it is never going to do anything for you. So if you're ever in that anxiety state, something like that, just go do something, go to the gym, go for a walk, get out and about, start moving, get your ass in nature. Don't be stuck in fear because it's the, it's the suck of life. It's the suck of life. Well, and like you said, it's definitely easier said than done, right? It's a pretty easy thing to just say, go to the gym, go outside, do whatever. But do you ever find yourself in a spot where, hey, that stuff's not working? Or maybe you're going a little too far down the rabbit hole or getting caught up in your own head or anything? For sure. I mean, even during COVID, I fight. So my one of my biggest fears, honestly, ever since I was a little kid, was just dying, terrified of dying. Anything that could lead to death was just so terrifying for me. And once COVID got in, I, you know, I was watching the news. I work in that industry. I'm hearing all these crazy stories and it's like, you're going to die. It's automatic death. And it, it got to me eventually. And it took me months to get out of the, the fear of just trying to do regular shit. I mean, all we were consumed with was don't do anything. Don't touch anything. Don't see anybody or you know, in my brain, it went right to like, you're going to get COVID and die. Like I know it's always the worst case scenario. So I live in that still. It's not something that I've perfected, but from personal experience, just sitting there and dwelling on it is never going to make the situation better. The only way I get out of it is going to do something. And it's hard. Sometimes you need somebody to shoot you a text or like my wife to be like, yo, get your ass outside, go do something, try to disconnect from this stuff and, and get on your way. Still living it. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, I still got about a year to get over it, I guess, but all right, I got to be there forever. Quick story. So you, you mentioned 
your biggest fear growing up was dying. And that just triggered a, a memory that I have when I was younger. Cause I, <laughs> I remember this was probably preschool. I just came into my parents' room, just crying one day. And they're like, what's wrong? I don't want to die. I'm like five years old thinking about dying already. Just so morbid as little Matthew at five years old thinking he's going to die. I can't remember what they said about that. That just kind of triggered that in my brain. But Benny, what is, uh, you mentioned taking risks. What Can you give some examples from your life of how you took risks? Yeah. So again, for me, it comes like for fear. Like the best thing that I like to do is just try to get uncomfortable. I know that's super cliche. I'm not trying to be David Goggins out here. You know, you got to do it, bust through the wall, anything like that. But it's just do different shit. Right. Even honestly, I was not super jazzed about going ice fishing with you and with everybody because I was like, shit, like, what's that like? And you guys were screwing with me out there because you're like, oh, the ice is cracking. Like, got your seatbelt on. You're going to die, dude. And like immediately I'm like, oh, shit. You know, Jarcy was like laughing, pissing his jeans the entire time because there's me unbeknownst, just like knowing that you guys are screwing with me. But I never experienced it. And going now it's, it's a blast and like another example is just move to a new city if you want to like really change yourself and challenge your ass move to a new city man it's it's probably the best thing i've ever done learned a shitload about myself and you grow up really quickly some people may say that's a bad thing but you figure out who your friends are who your family is and who you are as a person so once you're vulnerable once you're out of your comfort zone it's you know there's only one direction it's either up or you're going down and there's there's no pause. I couldn't agree with moving to another city more. One, never would have met Benny Skills if I never moved down to Chicago. Two, the learning about yourself. When you first moved up to a new city, you are by yourself and you got to find some things to do. You got to learn how to make friends again. Luckily, I'm pretty dang good at that. Thank God. Or else it would have been a terrible time down there. But I, I, I used to just throw in my headphones, take the, take the L somewhere, walk around, just kind of taking the whole city like, wow, I'm in Chicago right now. This is awesome. Too bad the job sucked balls. That would have been really cool to stay down there for a little bit longer. But it was such a big learning experience for me. And man, I got street smart down there. Wow. Growing up in Lino, then going to Chicago complete 180 yeah and i grew up in lino too and maybe going somewhere by yourself is too big of a risk for some people maybe they're not as outgoing as you sarge so i did it with my wife and that has kicked ass i mean having one other person definitely helps with that but you yes you still have to make new friends still have to do all that stuff but it, it is nice having at least one other person there so i would say if anyone listening to this right now if you and your significant other are thinking about jumping cities or trying a job, maybe one foot out the door, one foot in, I say go for it. You got nothing to lose. You can always move back too. And I just, I think one thing I always heard was go travel when you're younger, go explore, go, go overseas, go to Europe. And what really culminated with me in the last few years is really just like do stuff as an individual. So when I first moved to Chicago, like my ex-girlfriend at the time and I were like living together. So I had some like kind of a similar situation to you, Bricky, but I still had to make my own network outside of that. So 
there was a lot of alone time and that's when you really like find yourself so that's just like best thing i can tell people just take the leap it can't be that bad and anybody can do anything for a year don't let anyone tell you otherwise on to the next uh this is gonna go hand in hand with that i keep saying this but i i don't know i think this one's just as important learn how to fail best tool in life i think overall is learning how to fail when you're a little kid I, lo- I was competitive personally. I'm sure you, I know you guys played sports as well. Whether it's sports, clubs, academics, tying your freaking shoes, riding a bike, whatever it is, learn how to fail and learn what that means because it's the best learning opportunity that you ever have. If you look at it in the correct mindset every single time, you're not losing. You're just learning how not to mess up again. And you're course correcting yourself over and over again. I love that you said that when I was working at Advanced Tech, our director of sales had this awesome story about a customer of his where the engineering manager always wanted to fail faster to get to their end last iteration of a product. And it, it's really with life too. When they're making something, they want to make however many iterations and figure out what works and what doesn't. And failing is one of those things to figure out what works and what doesn't. And I know from my personal experience, I have failed so many times, but look at me now living with my parents, doing a podcast. Woo! Well, and just look at every, you can almost boil it down to this. Every lesson that you learn in life, every lesson on this 30 list is from failure. Damn near all of them. Otherwise you're not really learning a lesson. I love it. I mean, that's probably that, you know, I think we might have to cut that piece. That is the cornerstone of what we're talking about it's all from fuck ups i don't know what else to say that's what i would have you know my dad would have said that you know you're you're gonna fuck up people fuck up that's okay but you know figure it out uh the only other point that i really want to like drive home on the learn how to fail is what i've learned in really the past five years is it's easy to just want to give up or push it to the side when things get difficult But when that happens, when you hit that roadblock, that's when it's time to double down, dig deep and keep cruising. And again, I'm not trying to sound too David Goggins here, Goggins-ish here, but it's true, man. It's like when things aren't going right, that's when you should try so much harder because you know you're sniffing it, right? Like that's kind of what I'm trying to get at is like when it's not going correct and you're trying hard, that's the freaking green light to try harder because you're almost about to break through. And that's what learning how to fail is man okay so a little bit of a professional twist here learn how to network i think it's age-old saying you are who you know i mean we're social beings it's it's in our nature it's it's habitual family friends colleagues at work people from sports everything you know you are the summation of your social interactions and your connections and i can tell you like i wouldn't be where i am career-wise socially anything without having the connections that I've made and and trying to maintain those throughout my life. You know, one, one friend connection leads to an entire different pocket. I guess I just have one question for that. So I would say you and Sarge are both pretty outgoing, pretty easy to say that. Do you have any advice for maybe shyer people about networking? Cause I know it's just get out there and do it. But other than, I mean, there's gotta be more to it than that. Cause there's people sitting here, listening to that. Like that is my worst nightmare. Have you guys seen, we are the Millers? I think so. Is that with Jennifer Aniston and the Jason? Jason Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. There's a part where he's talking to his son 
about uh, the girl that he, he likes that he meets, which is Ron Swanson's daughter, right? And he was talking about how he's nervous. And Jason Sudeikis gives the advice, count to three and do it. No joke. I've been doing that for years, unbeknownst that it was going to be in We Are the Millers. But seriously, count to three and just go for it. Whether that's going to talk to some girl, going to trying to network, just count to three and do it. It sounds so stupid, but it works for me. Maybe it's because I have confidence to go talk to really anyone, but that's what I would suggest. Just count to three, and let it rip. For sure. And that at least gets you going. And then I want everyone not to forget about Ben's last lesson. Don't be afraid to fail. I mean, it might not go well the first time or the second time or the third time, but you just got to get out there and do it. You're going to take a few uh, licks on the chops. There's no doubt about it. I mean, making friends is hard, man. It's it's something where it's a long process. You, there's everybody, like, even if you're trying to make new friends, they might have their own friend circle. The one thing for me, like, moving to Minnesota, outside of knowing Sarge and, you know, freaking busy as it can be as a human being, you know, I had to meet a lot of new people. And it's just, like, try to find things and do things. Again, take some risks. Do stuff that you like to do as an individual. And you're going to start figuring out who your friends could be. Compliment them a little bit. Get in there and, and, you know, just be vulnerable. Like, hey, I'm new. I don't know that many people. People are willing to help people out, man. It's a miracle once you say that. One other thing, as far as networking goes as well, make sure that you're, you're spending time networking, meeting other people, but also building your own brand. Again, it goes into a lot of integrity and other points we touched on in the first 30 before 30 episode, but you got to build who you are, right? Like people need to have that same attraction to you and you got to learn who you are, stick to it and keep going and promote that shit. Let people know what you're doing, what you're up to. That's how you're going to, you know, really start to connect with people that you may not have had opportunity to otherwise. Quick little uh, piece of advice, I guess. I struggled with names so bad. I would meet someone and be like, hi, my name's Matt. What's your name? Yeah, okay. So I worked on this and how I started to get people's names better was either maybe they're wearing a blue shirt. Maybe their name is Ron, Ron Don, do like a little rhyme or something. Then you'll always remember their name. Are you Michael Scott? I'm not kidding. That works. It works every time. Just pepperoni pizza, pepperoni, Tony, Tony likes pepper. Pepperoni, Tony. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And that's a great way to network because when people hear their own name, they love it. I'm going to pop into the next one here. And actually, as a group, we were chatting about this a little bit. The wheels were getting turned before this episode even started. So I'm glad I get the chance to to throw this out there. Uh, So speak last and listen first. And the emphasis on this, this is something that I'm personally trying to work on. I am a little bit long-winded when I get going. And people don't care. So... Listen to what other people have to say when you have the opportunity, speak up. And that's another point I want to make. When you when you have something to say that's valid, don't just try to fill airtime. Speak up. Say your piece and have all the pieces of information from, you know, whether it's a meeting, whether it's a friend group, you're at a sporting event, whatever. Take all that information in before you make a suggestion or before you start spouting off about something. I have an unbelievable quote from the Dalai Lama himself. Lama? The Lama. When you talk, you're only repeating what you already know. But if you listen, you may learn something new. 
don't know. That's wow. some wise ass shit. Pretty powerful. From the Dalai Lama. From the Lama himself. I mean, it makes sense, dude. I don't know. It goes back to like networking and the whole thing, like making friends. And that seems to be kind of the theme of this. These lessons at this point from me is like, I already know everything there is to know about myself. So I don't really care to like talk about it unless somebody asks. And that's how you can make that connection. I want to know what other people are up to because everybody's got their own path. So that's kind of where this comes from. And again, it's like, if you're the last one to speak, or at least this is what I have read and learned in some of these books that I'm trying to go through is like, usually the last person to speak is the wisest in the room because they want to take everything in before they start, you know, dropping dimes. Another big thing, just from like a corporate perspective, from a friend perspective, the whole overarching communication deal, everybody knows what's going wrong, right? We all know there are certain problems with certain things. If you're going to bitch about a problem, you better damn well have a solution on how to course correct it. Because everybody knows and no one wants to hear boohoo Stevenson about whatever's going on. They already know. So you better have a solution on how we're going to try to rectify the situation. Nobody likes a complainer. The boohoo movement needs to stop solutions. That's it. The little bonus lesson there, Benny. That was just part of it. I just, I threw that in there. I was like, I had to say that because I'm getting tired of people just bitching to bitch. It's like, all right, great. What have you thought about trying to fix it instead of just being like, hey, you are an ass. We need the woohoo moments. Man, if you're not motivated after that. (laughs) (laughs) Woohoo. Woohoo. All right. Ricky's up. Prepare to be educated. Let's see. I got five here. I'm not going to go in order even. I'm going to skip around. I'm going to start with if your significant other is passionate about something that you aren't, do a little research about it and just kind of play along. Show some interest. It's just more fun that way. Uh, This one just kind of relates to my life in general, to my wife and I. She is the world's biggest Harry Potter fan. Listens to the books constantly, watches the movies constantly to the point where now I don't even really watch them, but if it's on, I can tell you which one it is. That's how often that they're on. And myself was not a huge Harry Potter fan whatsoever. For my, however old you turn when you're in fifth grade, because that's when they were kind of big, the craze was going on, the start of it. I had read the first three books. So for my birthday in fifth grade, my grandma got me the fourth book. And I read 50 pages the first night. And I was super pumped told my parents, and guess what? I am turning 30. I am still on page 50. That a kid never went back. Not one extra page. Because then the (laughs) movies came out and they were just amazing. And you didn't need to read the books, but the books are fantastic. I am a Harry Potter nerd myself. But I just kind of, the magic thing wasn't really my thing at all. So I just kind of had that, when it early came out, I hit the craze, left. She was super into it. So then I just kind of, like, all right, we're doing this. And we're, we're going on vacation in October. Stop number one, Harry Potter World and Universal Studios. We're going. Can you please? Yeah, dude. Sorry, can- that was a little too loud. But Harry Potter World kicks so much ass. It was amazing. I got to go for a work trip two years ago. It was unbelievable, dude. She's going to freaking lose her marbles. Oh, we've already been there. We're oh, going okay. back again. That's even better. Dude. <laughs> That's how much back. she loves it. And like we went to uh, London, Amsterdam and Paris after she graduated, went to the Harry Potter studios. And that was actually dope. That was super cool. 
saw like the actual sorting hat, all the props, the, the hall. It was super, super cool. Yeah. So I, I've just kind of dove into that and, uh, it's been way more fun that way. If I could have poo pooed it and it would have just been not as fun. And I'm not saying you need to do everything together, like all the same stuff, but it's more fun that way. And so it goes both ways. I obviously love hockey. She had never been to a hockey game in her life. Well, maybe at the U a couple, but didn't care. Didn't know anyone, whatever. Our first date was actually to a wild game. And I don't think she even really cared that much, but the more that I've watched it and whatever, she's tagged along and and enjoys it. Now we watched basically all of the playoffs and actually one time this last playoff season, I was like, Hey, there's really, it's only this one game on tonight. It's not that important. You want to watch the office instead? And she goes, no, I want to watch hockey. And I was like, you are talking dirty to me, girl. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. But what really it's about, it's like, that's some serious brownie points. If you can suck it up and do that. I mean, if you're not willing to suck it up, you probably shouldn't be together. And like, if you don't try your significant other's things, you're never going to know if you like it. And like you said, Bricky, you kind of had, you rekindled the flame with the Harry Potter and Harry Potter word, which kicks ass. I'm going to continue to say that. Like you're, you're just getting, you're missing out on potential cool experiences. So that's awesome, man. So I'll move on to the next one here. And I'm just going to pre-warn the three of us. Let's not uh, ramble on too long about this one, but it's take golf lessons. Benny's doing a golf clap right now. Yes. I think that's unbelievable advice. One, golf is a lifelong game. Or, no, You can't play hockey your entire life unless you're like that uh, legend up in Duluth that's been playing until he's like 100. And that's exactly why I brought it up. It's a perfect game. And, and so, for some people, it's too slow. But like you said, Sarge, it's a lifelong game. You can play it your whole life. And I was actually just talking about this with my dad, who is freshly retired. Shout out, Tom. He had golfed with my brother-in-law, who is just starting and loves it. Absolutely loves it. But it's hard to pick up when you're later on in life. Uh, The concept of golf is super easy. Get it in the hole. Actually doing it, hard. So we were just kind of talking about it. And he had said, you know, if you think about it, if you golf 20 times in a year, Let's just say you golf 17 and get lessons the other three, because that way you're still spending relatively the same amount of money. You're getting stuff to work on and it's just, yeah, a lifelong skill. Back to Benny's point about networking. If you're in a position where you can golf and network, you will get that sale. And honestly, it could lead to something. Cause I, I remember I was at a charity event at my last job and we were golfing and I'm not great by any means, but I can, I can string the sticks. I play quite often, but if you're decent, it gives the often impression that, you know, spend the time. No, golf, you're on the right track. Golf Fuck. is something that you can't just like pick up the clubs and be good at. You have to practice. You have to play. Taking lessons is vital. Important. Helped me a lot. I took lessons two years ago. My golf games improved dramatically. Yeah. I wish I would have done earlier to go mm-hmm. off that bricky. I wish I would like, if somebody would have sat me down when I was 12 years old and told me like, just play golf. That would have been advice I probably didn't wouldn't have listened to, but knowing what I know now, it is the only sport that I really play anymore. It's hard to get into other like leagues. I also don't want to get injured at this point. So like hockey, football, even basketball, you know, people are blowing knees out and I ain't trying to have a cast for six months. 
or go under the knife for a, like an ACL or something like that. So golf lessons, I preach that to everybody. We actually made a pact. I'm going to state it on the podcast so that they absolutely have to stick to this. Sarge and Jarcy have committed to taking golf lessons before next season. They have to do it. They'll both improve. And they've already said it, but now it's on the podcast. They can't take it back. Everybody in Minnesota will boo them. So boo them if they don't commit to golf lessons. And last thing, and we'll move on. The worst person to golf with is the dude who... If you hit a bad shot, it's like, oh, you need to do this. You need to do that with your swing. It's like, dude, just shut up. I don't care. On to the next one. This, I guess, kind of goes with golf because it's outside. Wear sunscreen. I don't know how many sunburns I got, how many times I peeled, how red I had to get, how many showers I took that were too hot because I was sunburned, how many times I laid in bed on fire dying because of not wearing sunscreen. You think you're tougher than the sun? You're not. I promise. Put on sunscreen. It's so simple, but yet so true. Skin cancer is a real thing. My grandma has had multiple skin cancer. Skin cancers? I don't even Things know. that are probably like potentially cancerous. Removed, yes. right? Like yeah. sunspots and things. Yep. Like on her face. Yeah. Grant, she grew up, you know, in the 1940s. And I don't know when sunscreen was invented. That's a great question. When the hell do you think sunscreen was invented? Oh, sorry. Anyway, putting that on is actually important. Rickner, I heard that you have an unbelievable picture. Is that true? Yes, I will. I'll, we'll post it. And yeah, so grew up in Minnesota and it's a little different in Minnesota. You can get the all natural tan a little bit easier because it takes a long time to get to actually summer, but living in Missouri, even though it's just a, Short nine-hour drive south. The sun is a-blazing down here. And, yeah, we went hiking in, like, March or April, where in Minnesota, you're probably still wearing pants and a sweatshirt. And we were, we went hiking for, like, three hours, and holy bananas. It was awful. I'll post the picture. I don't need to ramble too much on about it. But, yeah, it was bad. Learned my lesson. Never going back. And, and reapply. Because... That shit does not last as long as you think it does. You think you're all buttered up at 10 o'clock, got a late afternoon round, 3.30, you're getting tortured by the sun. So reapply. Get the spray screen. If you get the spray screen, rub that shit in. All right. On to number four slash number nine. If you don't know something, it's okay to say, I don't know. I don't know why people think that they have to just make something up That's not the case. It's perfectly fine to say, I don't know. And Sarge, I don't know why you just strike me as a guy who would act like they know something that they don't know. You are not wrong. And then then you just look like an idiot. Don't be like Sarge. Don't look like an idiot. Ricky, can you give us an example of something like that? Yeah. So I had been with, and this is kind of bringing it back to work. I had been with a company for probably three-ish years and was working on getting a promotion. Uh, to a supervisor role. I was still pretty young, like 25-ish. And it was a phone interview, in-person interview, and then another interview with the manager and another manager. And it was like an hour and a half just getting grilled, hypotheticals, situations. If this happened, what would you do? And so I got through the interview, ended up getting the job, beat out like three or four other people. I was really pumped. And like six months into the job, I was having a one-on-one meeting with my manager and I asked her, 
you know, why did I get it over the other people? And she had said, because you were the only one who, when you didn't have an answer for a question, you said, I don't know what I would do in this situation. I would reach out for help. And no one else said that. They all just kind of made something up that you thought the other person wanted to hear. It's important to know that if you don't know something, it's okay to say, I don't know, let's look into it. I don't know, let's figure it out. I don't know, let's work on it together. Benny, don't you think that is just unbelievable advice for salespeople? I think it's unbelievable advice just universally, just because get over yourself, right? I hated being wrong when I was a kid. And, you know, I, you bullshit a little bit. Like, yeah, I know the answer. And your friends are literally trying to catch you lying to them and you'd fight so hard to like prove them wrong be like i know you don't know the answer just take the l move on get over yourself i love it especially for sales because if you bs somebody on a sales call a customer you're talking out of your ass ain't gonna be good better to chalk it up as an l reach out to a specialist or whoever it is whether work capacity you work in get the right information the first time don't be fumbling well and that's exactly it it's just getting the right information it's, I don't know it this second, let's, let's figure it out. You don't have to just make something up, but then someone asks you that question later, you better know at that time. Can't just keep laying on that crutch. On that point, how many, how many mess ups do people get before they're expected to know? Cause you can't keep coming back to the well. You know, it's a, a famous George Bush quote, fool me once, shame on, shame on you. Fool me twice. You can't get fooled again. <laughs> that Missouri draw is really starting to, to get that stuff so I like it fool me once you can't you can't get food again can't get food again and for the 10th and final lesson that I have learned over my 30 years on this planet earth is meal prep and I want to say I don't always do it but it is just so important because you want to know what sucks more than meal prepping cooking every day facts you go on two days in a row and it's wednesday and it's like all right what's for dinner oh i gotta cook again oh this this window's looking pretty inviting to jump out of maybe i'll just uh swan dive out of this bad boy instead avoid the dishes just do all the dishes at one time i like that a lot and i think to that point it's if you don't meal prep and i'm not very good at it myself some i definitely want to get better at it's hard to always eat healthy because you just push off the hunger as far as possible. You sneak downstairs. Maybe there's a box of freaking Chex Mix or something. I don't know. Maybe Cheez-Its. Half a box of Cheez-Its goes down pretty easy when you're hungry. At, oh, you know, yeah, it does. Just trying to watch out for you guys out there. Yeah, but the key to meal prep is make sure you have enough ingredients to make five days worth. Because my wife and I, it's uh, when we started doing it, we would get enough stuff to get us to Wednesday and we'd have to do it again. So it kind of cut it in half. But then after we realized we could just buy more stuff at the beginning, do it once and we're set for the week. That's the ticket. Ricky, can you break it down for everybody out there? How long start to finish from leaving your apartment, getting groceries to finishing all of the cooking for a meal prep for the week? How long does that take? All right. I want to preface this by saying that my wife is heavily involved. And if it was just me, this time would be way higher. So I say grocery shop out the door and back hour. Fair and enough. then I would say 
hour, an hour and a half per meal. So okay. if you got if you got dinner and lunch, I would say anywhere from two to three hours to do both of those. But we usually do that one one night, one the next night. So okay. you break it up. So not bad. So about three, maybe three and a half hours max to kind of tie a bow on it for the entire week. Yeah. But, and some of that time in the two to two and a half hours or whatever for cooking is in the oven. So you're not chopping, doing actual stuff. It's everything's in there and it's cooking. It's not strenuous labor the entire time, but yeah. So it's so much better than doing that than doing 20 minutes, five times in a row. That's just the worst. And it's just a plethora of dishes. Alrighty. Going into my 30 things that I learned before turning 30. Uh, this is a dead serious one. And I, I can't stress this enough. Mental health is just as important as physical health. Uh, I mentioned back a few episodes ago that I saw a therapist and I go, sorry, going back to Benny's point about anxiety, I had super bad anxiety about my last job. Just thinking of different presentations that I had for clients. How is it going to go? dwelling on how a bad meeting went and just would literally eat me alive. And it got to a point where it was hard to get up for work. I couldn't even, it was just like, no, I got to go back to the fire here. I don't want to make these calls. I don't want to send any of these emails. Went to see uh, a psychologist, talked about some of the stuff that I wanted to get out there and stuff that I didn't really know I wanted to get out there. And that shit helped immensely, which led me into doing this uh, and pursuing a passion slash dream. And for any of you that are really struggling, and I can't say enough how much I fucking hate this saying it's okay to not be okay. That is the biggest bunch of bullshit I've ever heard in my entire life. Don't listen to that crap. You hear a lot of like celebrities and whatever. Oh, it's okay to not be okay. No, it's fucking not. It's not okay to not, not be okay. You need to address that. Uh, if you're in that point maybe you're in the crossroads of your life i don't know and this is going to sound really stupid but i watched the sopranos okay i know it's all fake right it's not the real thing but seeing tony soprano see a psychologist made me kind of realize like dude if tony fucking soprano is seeing a psychologist why can't matt Sargent? it's it's helping him i know it's all fictional whatever i don't even care what anyone thinks about it but that was kind of something that I've done that I would 100% recommend to everyone. And hopefully you're not struggling with any of that anxiety and stuff, but it, that shit can eat you alive. Yeah. I, I completely agree. Again, I've had my own shit, still deal with some day-to-day -day stuff. Sarge, what was the, the breaking point where you're like, Hey, I need to get help because I think a lot of the, I think this is for everybody, but more men like male exclusive. It's hard to go say like, hey, I have a problem and then seek out help. So what what kind of I know the, the Sopranos thing and like that kind of gave you a little boost to like, hey, like I'm not alone. But how did that process work for you? So I was having nightmares almost every night. I didn't, wasn't sleeping at all. I would have the, the, my teeth falling out, me fighting people and my punches would just nick them. It, and it's weird. I. In real life, that wouldn't happen. Falling off cliffs. And I was just waking up all the time and sleeping legit three, two and a half hours a night thinking about this stuff. And I would get to work and I would be nervous to go into work. And I had the 
this kind of feeling like, man, I, I don't want to really do this anymore. This is not where I was expecting to be. I thought, and it, I was, what I, my job was really hard at the time. It, it's not easy selling something that someone doesn't need or a company doesn't need it. I wasn't that confident in some of my sales tactics for certain types of, or certain industries, I guess. But I was not sleeping and I was so fucking sick of not sleeping. I would try to, I would take NyQuil, but it wouldn't work. I, I, or uh, whatever, ZQuil, sorry. It wouldn't work. I tried melatonin, that wouldn't work. I would basically damn near like drug myself to go to sleep in a way, which was knew that was fucked up. I was like taking 20 milligrams of melatonin to, to try to go to sleep. I mean, that's, I don't know what the normal dose is, but they come in like two milligrams. I was taking 20 to try to go to sleep. And that was fucked up. So when you went and saw a therapist and started actually talking about this stuff, because I'm just going to assume that while you're going through all this, that you were keeping it all internalized, right? hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. So when you actually finally got it off your chest, did that kind of cure it? Yes. So I, I thought I used to take this uh, medicine or what a prescription called Zitalofram is supposed to like lower in your anxiety. I didn't think it did really anything. So I took it, I gave that a try. I didn't feel any different. And I just knew that I need to switch, you know, change my position or, you know, do something. I had to do something. And for me, it was getting out of that. Cause I, I working for, I don't know if anyone works for, you know, their parents or their family, but you add a ton of pressure on yourself just because I'm Matt Sargent. I'm Jack Sargent's son. You know, why is he not selling? Why is he not doing this? And I would just have that. It just kept building and building. And then there was times where I just like, it would take me like three dials on the phone to even make the call. And I've been on the phone for fucking six years. It wasn't like I was scared to get on the phone, but for some reason, the anxiety would build up and build up a little up. And I would hope for people to not answer. And I was like, man, I got to stop this bullshit. If you had to break it down for people that may be afraid to go to therapy or are currently going, what would you say is your biggest takeaway? Yeah. So I, I guess for me, I mentioned this prior on a previous episode, but I, I really didn't want to release my demons to my friends because that is, I don't really care if people judge me, but like having some of the things that I was thinking, like the inner demons that I had. Telling my friends would have been really eye-opening to them. And I think would have been like, whoa, like you need to do this, this, and this. And they wouldn't know how to handle it. But going to someone who is certified or able to, or know how to address what I needed was probably the biggest takeaway, I guess. For sure. And I think that's super normal and probably why people get to that stage, right? Is it, it's just scared of what people are going to think about what's going on inside, Mm -hmm. which I think kind of back to your point earlier about the, it's okay to not be okay. That's kind of what they mean by that, right? Is like, you're not alone in this. Other people feel this way. And that's kind of the premise behind that. Because yeah, if you can just talk about it, whether that's to a third party therapist, a friend, a wife, a husband, a girlfriend, your parents, whatever, it just helps so much because I mean, I haven't had it in that extreme where, you know, where you were at, but I've definitely gone days without sleeping and it just sucks because you're just tired and you're just not there. You're in a fog. It's just stuff's not making sense. It's the worst, dude. And then you get fat because you don't have any motivation to do anything because you're running on fucking fumes. Yeah. Let's just say you're not meal prepping. 
if you're no. not sleeping. <laughs> no, you think you're grocery shopping? No, you're getting hell no. bread. You're getting Subway. You're getting that frozen pizza. It, it's literally like the compound, the compound effect in the reverse way, right? So, well, it's like yeah. if you don't address the problem, it only exacerbates the problem. Totally, man. Not sleeping. If you don't just like talk to your friends, man. I don't know. That's a, I think that's a good point too. Like what you were saying, it's scary. And I've been to therapists multiple times and it's nice. It's a nice like security blanket almost where it's like, this person is legally bound not to tell anybody what's going on up here. So it's just like, it's like an insurance policy. I'm like, okay, I could be like, right. A little bit more forthcoming, but I'm, I was still hesitant to say stuff. I'm still afraid to stay shit because it's like who is this guy is he judging me and then eventually it's like if you get over that yeah it opens up a lot of doors and if anyone is i'm dead serious if anyone has any questions about it dude reach out i'm i'm more than happy to say whatever or show some support yeah they the therapist has to keep your secrets no matter how dark and fucked up they are to a certain extent but yeah i definitely you know if if you're getting to that point just count to three and do it. Make the call. You won't regret it. I promise you. All right, let's move on here. Lighter note, for God's sake, play sports, join an activity, find something like whether that's rock climbing, play sports. I literally almost all of my friends came from playing sports. Ricky, for example, we played hockey together for years. That's how I met some of my best friends. And also it's get that competitive spirit. If you're not competitive, maybe that maybe it's finding an art studio maybe that's uh going to a music studio whatever it may be it's a great way to network make friends lifelong friends most likely because they're you know you have that common interest but play sports join a club find an activity that you like see though and i totally agree and i think this might be just spinning this in a completely different direction but i wish i didn't take sports so seriously growing up i like that i think there's a lot of pressure and I think it's a U.S. thing, especially for high school sports. There's so much emphasis on playing and competing and winning, and it strips the fun part out of it. Have fun while you're playing it because it's not the end of the world. Like High school should be fun. It shouldn't be like you lost a game and now your life's over, even though I'm assuming based on knowing you two at this point that you guys were mental cases after a bad game because I was myself. Ricky, do you remember in APOEs when we lost to Blaine and we all cried in the locker room by chance? Yeah, and it's embarrassing as well. It, it is, is embarrassing. <laughs> I mean, we won state that year. We literally were the best team, and, but we lost to Blaine one time in the tournament. That didn't mean jack shit, and we balled our eyes out. I don't even remember what tournament it was. Like Me that's, either. That's how little it matters. No one remembers at all. just doesn't matter. One of the best experiences... Uh, experiences that Ricky and I share. We coached a hockey team up in Duluth in college. And so we grew up playing high level hockey and we coached the worst kids at Duluth. And we were, t- we, we were taking it way more seriously than the kids were. Cause we always thought it was about winning. I mean, we had, we had a coach that would shoot pucks at us and shit like that. I mean, just literally winning was everything. And that completely changed my perspective on everything once we coach those kids because it literally was the definition of a ragtag group oh my gosh yeah they sucked we had maybe one or two good guys 
but for the most part, no one was that good. It was, you know, B Pee Wee, but dude, they just had a great time. They loved it. And they didn't care at all. It took me one and a half practices to be like, these kids just don't give a shit about winning or losing. And it was like, huh? All right, well, let's just have fun. And it was a blast. Honestly, one of the most fun things and really rewarding things I've really ever done. And we almost made it to regions. And Benny, let me tell you, we had no business getting even close to where we were. And I think that's because we changed our entire philosophy on coaching and just what we were doing and the completely overachieved 100%. I think that's just great coaching. What do you think? Oh yeah. It it all boils down to coaching. I would like to take all the credit for that, but uh, if we would have made it to regions, we would have got waxed. Oh yeah. But fun fun fact. That's why we call each other coach is because that's just where it comes from. You know, coach, Hey coach, how you doing coach? We just brought it. What was it like sophomore year college or something like 10 years ago? Yeah. I love all those points. And yes, you guys do refer to yourselves as coach all the time. (laughs) Everybody refers to everybody in your friend group as coach, which is kind of fun. And the one thing that I really like that you guys just said is it's, it's for the love of the game. And there's a, there's definitely a place and myself included, I love high competition, but you gotta be having fun, man. When you're having fun, it's just, everything clicks. There's too much pressure going back to Sarge's point about his job and everything you start losing that passion to perform and it's, it's not always about like meeting these crazy goals. It's about just doing it. All right. Uh, I'm, I'm going to move on here. So my next one, it's okay to take a step back to pursue your dream. And so what I kind of mean by that is it's okay to move back in with your parents. Could I have a house? Yes. Could I have all these different things? Sure. And I'm okay with my current situation because I'm pursuing something more. If that's something that needs to happen, it's totally okay. Who gives a fuck? Yeah, no, it's, it's just kind of, and it can go, I mean, down a bunch of different paths, right? You have a bad breakup, take a step back, reassess. You don't have to get into another relationship right away. You lose a job, take a step back. It's going to be okay do something, you know, want something you want to do. So yeah, there's a whole bunch of scenarios you can apply that to. Yeah. Short and easy. Uh, let's, so these next two, I want to really drive home. My first one is learn how to negotiate. This can apply to literally everything. You're buying a new car, learn how to negotiate. You want that new promotion, learn how to negotiate. And there's a book that I cannot recommend enough. It's called Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss, who was a FBI hostage negotiator. It is a fantastic book. He goes into all these different situations on how he was dealing with terrorists, trying to get hostages to be released. Gang members, same deal. Literally, there's probably more to your uh, potential promotion, but if you learn how to negotiate, you can spin things in your direction. And I can't tell you how much I wish I would have read this book earlier in my sales career because I was a big old pushover for no reason because of big wigs. Seriously, check it out, especially if you're going for a new vehicle. Man, I wish I would have negotiated my vehicle because I could have got probably got a hell of a deal. So my dad 
always told me that in negotiating, you have to be willing to say no and walk away. That's yep. kind of your leverage, right? Yep. As a, as a buyer, you have to be willing to say no and walk away. And it works. I remember I was looking for a new bed at a time and I was legitimately just shopping. I was not going to purchase anything that day. And I go in there and I'm just kind of sitting around trying them out. The dude walks up to me. Hey, you like that one? I'm like, yeah, it's pretty nice. And it said like, I don't know, $1,200 or something. I don't know how much a bed is. He's, I was like, yeah, it's just too much. And I was, again, I wasn't going to buy anything. He's like, all right, I can, I can hack 200 bucks off that. No problem. It's like, ah, no, it's fine. Still too much. He does it again. Hacks 200 more off. Then he goes, all right, I'll call my manager for this one, but I'm going to have to pull some strings here, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, I can get it to you for 600 bucks. So literally half price. And I didn't buy it because I wasn't going to buy one that day, but it was kind of funny. Is that if you're just willing to say no, what can happen? Going back to cars, if you let them throw out a price and you give back a price, the finance people will make that price happen. If you say you want your car under $300, they're going to be like, well, it's 310. By the time that the actual like car salesman goes to the finance guy, who's really the sales guy, he comes back. He's like, guess what? We got it for $297.98. We're done. And then you're happy. So they're all, they always have ways to make it work. Right on. All right. I'm going to move into my very last one. I think this is the most important one that I have for my 30 before 30 is if you're not you, you are nobody. Let that Boom. sink in. Let that sink in. My good buddy Brett Stern said that to me one time as a joke, but I didn't take it as a joke. I thought about it. I'm like, man, dude, that is some freaking philosophy shit right there. And I've been living by that ever since I heard that. And I stopped giving a shit about what people think. And wow, this sounds so cheesy, but being my own person or whatever, it's okay to be you. And literally, if you try to be pleasing everyone, whatever, uh, you know, trying to have everyone like you or everything, you're not even you. It's the worst. And then you get the anxiety. It, it, it's just everything we've talked about all rolled up into one, basically. Got to be an individual, baby. Sarge, what does that mean to you? I know you just gave us a little little taste, but when he said that to you, what, what did you take that as? If you're not you, you're no one. Oh, man. I mean, that's literally my mantra now. Hearing that, it led me to doing this. Uh, it allowed me to kind of put weird, goofy shit and just be myself to the public now. Uh, you're kind of getting the real idea of who I am, I guess. This is a little bit of a personality, but not really. This is pretty much me here talking to you guys uh, or sorry to all the listeners which thank you very much for listening by the way yeah i i don't know did that even answer your question i don't even know all right let me ask you that let me rephrase it what did you identify that you needed to change or stop giving a shit about that like keyed off in your head that was like hey like i'm doing this for the wrong reason and that's inhibiting yeah. you from being who you really are uh the people pleaser like trying to make sure everyone likes you that type of thing not everyone's gonna like you and quite frankly, thank God, some people you just don't need to have in your life whatsoever. I guess that's kind of the nuts and bolts of it. That's a pretty universal problem. I feel like everyone's in the people pleaser mode. I know I felt guilty of that too. And trying to make people like you, especially when we talked about earlier, like moving to new places, it's like 
you just say yes to say yes because you're still trying to make friends and network and things like that. So how do you remember how old you were when he said that to you? It was in 2016. Okay, so five years ago. Because I like all of these lessons, I'm trying to think that if I could go back in time and talk to my 16, 17, 18-year-old self and try and impose some of these lessons, I don't know if I would listen or not. Do you, you guys think that, do you guys think yeah, you guys don't think you would? No, because I knew everything back then, dude. I would have maybe listened, but the one thing that I will say is that I am very grateful for everything that's happened to me because if I didn't experience it personally, it wouldn't have made an impact on me. And it's it's kind of like the age old saying, even getting advice from your parents or grandparents, they tell you till you're blue in the face, don't do this or focus on this skill. It will pay dividends, but you're just not ready to hear it. You got to live it before you can actually hear the shit. And each one of us has a unique path. And without going through that, we weren't ready to listen to it. And I know Sarge just said it before. He has to learn the hard way. Definitely the same for me. Hands-on learner, I like to call it. But uh, yeah, because I, 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 when we were going through all these, I was just like, man, I don't even know if I would listen to myself if I would have told myself this stuff back in the day. It's just stuff you have to go through on your own. Yeah. Life lessons, boys. Life lessons through our lens. It's tough. The one thing I wish I would have listened to, it would have been okay to be more vulnerable and like like mental health and asking for help and all of that stuff. I feel like that would have, I would have, I could have used the like, hey, it's okay to, to seek help or to just, you know, be a disaster in your brain. Don't live with it just on your own. Don't keep it in. Go try to fix it. Yeah, you keep that shit in, it's going to melt you. That was another fun episode. Once again, thank you all very much for listening. And hopefully you can learn from our mistakes and hopefully some people have taken our advice. If not, whatever. It doesn't matter. Just kidding. You should probably listen to us because, you know, these are some good ass lessons. But once again, spread the word to freaking turds. Take her easy. So there you have it. 30 lessons we learned before we turned 30. If you made it through all 30, we hope you learned a thing or two, or at least had a laugh at our expense. Next week, oh, next week, we have our first of hopefully many live recordings, and you are not going to want to miss it. Nothing new changes for you guys, but the three of us had way too much fun, cracked a few beers, and greased up the old hinges. We post on our Instagram after we got done recording, and gave a spoiler on the topic of the episode. So if you missed it, go check it out at Life Through Our Lens 00. And if you don't care, well, I can't blame you. We'll see you next Wednesday. Bye. Okay. We could potentially cut this, but you guys know the Snape, Snape, Severus Snape. We should fucking we should do that shit right now. That is such a good right. idea. How Ready? do we do it? How do we do Armani. it? Do you, do you not, Armani. Do you not, John? Okay, so Gone. I'm going to go Snape. Weasley. Snape. Savarice. Snape. And Dumbledore. Then, yep, you got Dumbledore, Benny. And then, Rickner, I want you going, Harry Potter, Harry Potter, Harry Potter, like, Harry Potter. Like, at the same time? No, do, do you not know the video? I have no idea what you're talking about. All right, about. don't do it. We can do it later. Yep. It is so well, funny, though. We can try it. Just All point right. when you need me to do Harry Potter. No, you have to like Harry Potter, Harry Potter. Just Harry like Potter, you're Harry Potter. Okay, just on a loop. Yes. Okay. Okay. Ready? Snape, 
Snape. Harry Potter. No, 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 no. When? Do it after I come in with Dumbledore. Oh, okay, okay. And then I just, they keep adding characters. So I just say it twice, and then I wait for him to say another character. Okay, so so the Snape thing is like the constant, the beat. Dumbledore is like actually kick drum. Yes, let's just give us one, one try. We can obviously cut this, but all right, ready, Benny. I want you to give Ricky the cue because I'm not going to look it. up because I'm talking reals. Okay, here we go. Snape, Snape, Severus, Snape, Dumbledore, Snape, Harry Snape, Potter, Harry Potter, Snape, Severus, Snape, Dumbledore, <laughs> Harry Potter, Harry Potter. <laughs> Sorry, that's so fucking stupid, but that video is electric. <laughs> We're sending that video out. I'm making a note right now. Mm-hmm. All right. But so back on track. 